Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. Hosea chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He is withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall deliver them with their fields. Most gracious Father, as we look once again to your word, we ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word. I ask that you would strengthen me by your spirit, that I may proclaim the gospel boldly as you have called me to do. Illumine our hearts and minds, Father, that we may understand and believe your word. Indeed, that we may know you and not walk in pride. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, as I said at the beginning of the sermon last week, we've kind of entered into this section of Hosea uh, that, that's hard. It's just hard for chapter after chapter after chapter. The first three chapters, it was kind of back and forth, something hard, something good. But then starting in chapter four, it's just rough for a while as Hosea announces all of these judgments and, and prophesies all of this destruction. And, and we, we saw last week that the priests were kind of brought into view as, as they failed to lead and, and failed to teach the people of Israel. And, and here we continue with, with this chapter being directed, uh, at least in the beginning, at the priests. And there's a structure similar to last week to this chapter. The first two verses kind of give this summary statement of what's going on. Then verses 3 and 4 kind of outline what the root issue really is, which we'll see isn't altogether different from what we saw last week. And finally, verses 5 through 7 help us understand how the reality of that root issue kind of plays out in life. And what we're going to see as we look at these words that were originally given to ancient Israel so many years ago, that there's an awful lot that applies to us as well. So let's get going with it. The first two verses I said kind of give this summary of what's going on. And, and there's kind of two sets to this. There's the first part, which are these three imperatives. Hear this, O priest. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. These three groups are named. The priests, the house of Israel, the king. Uh, basically, the entire nation is covered. And they're being called to pay attention, to hear, to give ear to the word of God. Hosea is saying, I'm here as a prophet of Yahweh. I am here to declare the word of God to the people of God, and I need you to pay attention. What we're going to see in just a second is the reason in part that he is making this plea for them to give ear and pay attention and, and hear him is because they haven't up to this point. 
Now, now we know that in part, as we saw last week, this is the priest's fault. They had failed to teach the people. But here he's calling them to listen to the word of God. And then he gives a reason for the judgment is for you. Now, when you're a preacher and you call people and you say, listen to what I have to say to you. The next thing that you want to get to say is Jesus Christ died for your sins and you are forgiven and you're secure and you have a new identity and a new hope in him. But that's not what Hosea got to say. He had to stand up and say, hey, everybody listen up. Do I have your attention? God is about to judge you and it's going to be real bad. That's not the message preachers want to come with. It's not the message that the prophets in the Old Testament, sometimes we think of them as just these, these cranky, like probably Presbyterians, if we're honest, guys that loved what they had to say. But Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Elijah went and hid after he and Like, they didn't really seem to enjoy what they had. Jonah, we know. He, now, he had other issues. But he didn't like what he was sent to say either. But Hosea is calling them to listen. Then he gives a second reason that that kind of flows through the the, the end of verse 2. You've been a snare at Mizpah, a net spread upon Tabor, and revolters have gone deep into slaughter. Now, he names these different places, and there's nothing actual. I mean, there's some things that happened at Mizpah, some things that happened at Tabor, but there's, there's nothing just super significant about these particular places. And, and commentators seem to agree that, and that's kind of the point. Doug Stewart said he could have named any town in Israel and been convicting them for their idolatry. It was that rampant at this point in time when Hosea was sent to preach. And, and so uh, naming some, some somewhat benign places is kind of the point. They were doing this stuff everywhere. They had idols and places for sacrifices, as we saw last week, under every tree because the shade was good. Every hill had become an altar. The revolters, the the rebellious, those who have turned away from God, they've gone deep into slaughter. They have poured themselves into this. They are in deep and loving it. But I will discipline them I will discipline all of them, he says. Now, another way that that you can say this, that this could be translated is, is, but I will be a shackle for all of them. It's got this kind of legal prison language wrapped up in it. They, they've, they, they, he, he uses all of these kind of, this kind of trap language. They've spread a net. They've been a snare. And he says, but, but I'm the one who will catch them. I'm the one who will lock them down. Again, This isn't exactly the message that preachers like to come with. You've done some things, and and, and we don't mind announcing sin, but what we like to do is follow that up with, and Jesus died for that. But again, Hosea doesn't get to here. You've done some things, you've set some traps for yourselves, you've been a snare to the people around you, but God will shackle you. He will put you in check. And these two different kind of introductions set the stage for what comes in the next few verses. 
In verses 3 and 4, we see that, that the reason he's calling them to hear and pay attention and give an ear is because they lack knowledge. And then in verses 5 and 7, we, we see that the reason he talked about being a snare and, and, and spreading a net and all of this kind of language of getting caught up in something you're not supposed to be caught up in is, is because of their pride. They thought they had some things figured out. So first, their lack of knowledge. The interesting thing about this section is, is it kind of starts and ends with this knowledge statement. So verse 3 begins, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. And then verse 4 ends, and they know not the Lord. And that's, that's the issue, right? That, that's where the, the, the title of the sermon comes from. Our sin is known. God knows them. He knows what they've been up to. He knows where they have failed. He knows all of, he knows every place of false worship in Israel. He knows every person who is gone. He knows every sacrifice that has been made to these false gods. He knows every sin that they have committed. He knows them. Now, as I said to the kids, that can be a little bit of a fearful thought. To, to think about the fact that God knows us at this level. That he knows the thoughts of our hearts. He knows the greed that's there. He knows the lust that's there. He knows the pride that's there. He knows the anger that's there. He knows the fear and the anxiety that's there. He knows the lack of faith that's there. He knows the hatred of the people around us, of our neighbors that we're supposed to. He knows all of it. We feel like we do a pretty good job of, of kind of putting on a pretty face and, and presenting ourselves as righteous and, and worthy and, and all of those ridiculous things that we present ourselves as. And what's funny about it is we see other people do that and we believe them. We be I see you show up all, and I'm like, man, they must have been great to their spouse this week. And you believe that about me. And so we live in fear of each other because we know ourselves. We know how wretched we are. And we just assume, they're like, well, nobody else is that way. But God knows the truth about all of us. He knows what we do in the secret. He, he knows, he knows us. That can be scary. He knows they've played the whore and defiled themselves. They've not gotten away with it. We don't, we don't get away with it. We don't pull one. You, you don't pull something over on an all-knowing God. It doesn't happen. And so we, we begin to see some, some of the reality of this played out. Their deeds do not permit them to return to God. He, he understands them at that level. He understands that the things they're pursuing are never going to lead them to him. He, he understands that, that, that we can't pursue one thing and get Yahweh and his grace. 
Well, we can't pursue something different. Well, for, for instance, we can't pursue an earthly state and end up with the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. We can't pursue money and treasure and, 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 and all of the, the goods of this earth and end up with the inheritance that's graciously given. We can't pursue reputation and a name for ourselves and and, and a tower that that proclaims to the world our glory and end up with the new identity of Jesus Christ. Now, Now, hear me very carefully. I'm not saying that you can't be involved in politics or that you can't have been successful in this life or that you can't be well known. Yeah, You can be all of those things. And, and still get the kingdom, and still get the inheritance, and still have an identity in Christ. But if your life is built on pursuing the things of this world, they will never lead you to God. Do you, do you see the difference? I, I get it. It's a nuanced difference, but it's a very important difference. It's not just a, uh, decrying anyone that, that happens to have done well in this world or, or been successful. No, it's not that. It's that when we face this way and we face the world and we run hard after that, we will never get to God. If you leave Arkansas driving west on I-40, you are not going to end up in North Carolina. It's not going to happen. We can't pursue something that leads us away from God and expect to get to Him. Their deeds do not permit them to return to God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them. In other words, they've given themselves to finding their full hope, identity, and security in something other than Yahweh. And that's all they'll have. That's all they'll have. Because that's what they've given themselves to. And they know not the Lord. See, that's the root issue for them. They don't know God. And Paul tells us again in Romans 3 that this is our root issue. That we don't know him, or, or, or we suppress the knowledge of him that that's innate within us. No one seeks him. No, not one. No one is all of those psalms that he strings together in Romans 3 that make us feel about this big. It's all true. And that, that's the hard part of this situation. Verses 5 through 7 kind of help us show how this plays out. This trying to live without knowing God. And specifically, we can, we can put a finer point on it, can't we? This is what it looks like when we try to live a godly life and don't actually know God. When we try to live that, that religiously pretentious life, this, verses 5 through 7, is what it looks like. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. In other words, their, their pride sells them out. Their pride sells them out, and they will stumble. And then he adds, remember we heard this warning in in chapter 4, verses 15 through 19 to Judah. He he adds here, he kind of says, by the way, it's not going to go well for y'all. Judah also will stumble with them. They're not going to listen to the warning that that Hosea announced in the previous chapter. They, They also will stumble. 
So the issue here is that when, we, when we're not acting in the knowledge of God, and the knowledge of Him is a perfectly just God, but also an endlessly merciful God, and the knowledge of Him is, is holy and righteous, but, but gracious and full of steadfast love. When we're not acting in that, that Exodus 34, 6 and 7 view of who God is in all of His glory, in all of His perfections, when we're not acting in the knowledge of God and, and we continue to try to be religious, we're acting in pride. That's the issue for Israel. They're not acting in light of who God is. They're not acting in light of what he has made known about himself. And their pride will sell them out. And they will stumble and Judah with them. Now, verse 6 and 7 kind of show us exactly what that looks like. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find them, for they will not find him, for he has withdrawn from them. They're going to do the things. We're going to do the things. We're going to get the animals. We're going to go with the sacrifices. We're going to, you know, put on our happy face and our cute bow tie and show up and be religious. And it ain't going to work. It's not going to work because we won't find God coming like that. See, see, when we try to make our own way to God, the only place we get to is ourselves. That's the reality of it. You know, philosophers you know, have talked about how, how you know, uh, Man has recreated God in his own image. Yes, 100% yes, that's exactly what has happened. We, we've decided this is how we're going to get to God. These are the things I'm going to do. I've got my checklist, checking it twice, all of this stuff. But we still don't get there. We only find ourselves at ourselves. That's what Israel was doing. They weren't coming, as we saw last week with Jer- in Jeremiah 3, that they weren't coming out of, out of a heart that, that desired Yahweh. They were coming out of a heart that desired to check the list, do the things, show up and look pretty. Religious pretense. That's what Israel is doing here. And, and we read stuff like this and we're like, oh man, how could they miss it? With all that they had, with the miracles, with the prophets, with the Exodus story, with the promises of Abraham, with how, how, how could they miss it? Well, you know, don't you? You know exactly how they miss it. The same way we do with with the the, the word of God in our hands and, and the gospel proclaimed freely announced week after week, it's all of grace. And still we show up and we're like, oh man, I had a good week. Prayed a whole lot. Read my Bible a whole lot. God is satisfied with me. He is, but not because of that stuff. It's good that you did it. Pray, read your Bible. Great, do that. But don't ever think that's why he's satisfied with you. 
He's satisfied with you not because of the sacrifices and offerings you make. He's satisfied with you because of the sacrifice and offering that his son made for you. They've dealt faithlessly with the Lord. For they've borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. There's some weird translation things in that last phrase. And some people argue that it should say a new people will devour them. That that this is a, a foretelling of the Assyrians and the Babylonians coming in from the east and destroying them. And certainly we know from history that is what happened. Whether this should be this new moon announcing a new day in which they would be destroyed or or we should see it as, as this new people, it really doesn't change the meaning of the text, does it? They've dealt faithlessly with God. They've not believed Him. And so they'll, they'll pay the price. See, that's the other side of, of, of pride. Is On the one hand, we, we think we can make our own way. We think we can show up with our sacrifices and our offerings and our herds and our flocks and whatever it is that we're going to lay on the altar and that that will satisfy God. The other side of pride is we go, you know what? I just don't have to believe his word. If there are things in it that I don't like, and, and we've, we've allowed this, we've embraced this in, in many ways in American evangelicalism. We can say, you know what? No, I, God loves me. And, and you can't take that away from me. But then when we say, well, okay, but, but he does love you. Yes. And he, he commands us to live this way. We're like, well, you, he loves me and you can't take that away from me. We think we don't have to believe his word. We think that we can go, oh, Jesus, okay, Jesus, and we add nothing to Jesus. That's true. All day. Add nothing to Jesus. But Jesus calls us to follow him, doesn't he? And, and so we don't get to just say, oh, well, God loves me. I don't have to do anything in his word. I can deal faithlessly with him. Well, the problem with that is we're justified by faith. And and so if if we deal faithlessly with him, there's a fundamental problem in how we're following him. There's a fundamental problem in our our grasp of the gospel. When, When we think we don't have to actually believe what he says. His son did this thing, cool. That's all that matters. I don't have to believe anything else that he says. That seems to be kind of where Israel was. We'll do these things, but we're not going to take his word seriously. We do all of this, don't we? Every bit of it. It's easy to hear, read these old prophets and be like, man, Israel, woohoo. I don't know what their problem was. Their problem's the same as ours. They're, they're tempted by the world. They, they live in fear of losing the world. And so they run after anything that, that even begins, that even begins to offer some kind of hope, some kind of security, some kind of identity. 
run after anything. And, and when somebody comes along, one of the prophets, let's say, it's like, hey, um, the word of God that says this, they wanted nothing to do with it. Sometimes they would try and kill him. Sometimes they would just deny that no, we haven't done anything wrong. There's whole sections in the prophets where, where, where God is calling them out for that, where, but because they've looked at me, where have we sinned? Everywhere. And the passage that, that Jared read to us from 1 John, this is exactly what it's dealing with. This is what clues us in to, to the fact that this isn't just an ancient Israel problem. Listen to, to, to how much, though, though John kind of diverts from the whoring language, listen to how much parallel there is. This is the message you have heard from him and, we, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses uh, Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. John had to write that to his, his audience, whoever this letter went to, because they struggled with the same realities that Israel did. You and I need to hear this sermon. I need to preach this sermon because I struggle with the same realities of pride and, and, and lack of knowledge. It's just where we live. But John didn't stop there, did he? There's another verse. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Judgment is coming if that's the path we take. We stand with the people to whom Hosea was speaking. But he goes on. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It was the same thing with the people of God in the Old Testament. They were being called to repentance. They were being called to come, as we saw last week in Jeremiah 3, when he calls them to repentance in light of their sin, in light of all that. How did he call them to repentance? Come and tell me that you sinned. He didn't say, clean yourself up and then, and then come and, and prove your trust. No, he said, come as a sinner and I won't be angry. Come as a sinner and you'll get mercy. Come undone by yourself and I'll forgive you. Come in need of grace and you'll get it. See, what pride does to us is it convinces us that we can't come honestly to God. That we can't come and say, I did it big time. I've messed everything up. I've ruined every relationship I have. 
I've done all the things that I wasn't supposed to do and none of the things that I was supposed to do. Name a sin, I've done it, and, and come up with a new way to do it. I've lied and cheated and stilled and, and, and lusted and, and committed adultery and looked at pornography and, and, and murdered and, and I've done all the things, God. And here I am as a sinner. And our pride will convince us, you better not dare approach a holy God like that. But that is precisely how God calls us to come to him. Without one word, without one word of why we deserve to be there, he says, come. Come and tell me your sin, and I will not be angry. That, as we see, as the story eventually will unfold, was Hosea's goal with Israel. Come and tell him your sin, and you'll be forgiven. That was why Jesus came, to pay the price for our sin. See, being known at the heart level, being known at the thought level is scary until you realize that that's how God had to know us, to send his son so that everything that we are guilty of can be paid for. And then when you realize that, it becomes a comfort. He knows me. He knows the depth of darkness within me. And yet, and because of it, he sent his son. Because knowing all of that, he loved me and desired me. Now I can come being honest with this God who knows me and confess it all. And I will hear your sins are forgiven. That's the freedom we're called to live in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hard parts that that knell us to the wall and remind us that we're sinners, but then immediately turn around and, and remind us that you knew that. You weren't surprised. And that's why you sent Jesus. Father, help us to put off our pretentious religious pride and come in the full knowledge of who you are. Yes, holy and righteous and just and perfect. But also merciful and gracious and full of steadfast love that has no end. Might we know you so that we no longer have to come in pride, pretending we're something we're not, but can come confessing and be welcomed in to the warmth of your embrace. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.